1: everybody, my name is Jess Galley, and today on Working Capital, The Real Estate Podcast, I have Bridger Pennington on the show. Bridger is the founder of Blackbridge Holdings, a real estate investment company that has done over 265 transactions in the last two years. Bridger is also a YouTube creator. He's got a number of different videos on all things real estate. Check him out on YouTube, Bridger Pennington. All right, without further ado, let's get into the show. If you're interested in real estate investment funds, syndication, private equity, any of the above and more, you're going to like this episode enjoy Bridger how's it going Hey, well, it's good good to be on. I'm excited to be here. It's gonna be fun. Awesome, man. Yeah, it's great to have you on. I um I keep seeing your YouTube videos pop up in my feed, and I'm like, who is this guy? I got to get him on. So <laughs> so that's sorry about that. It's my guy. He's trying <laughs> to be <get> there. <laughs> yeah, it's my guy. Um, no, that's great. I I what I liked about them, and for those that don't know, just I mean, Google Bridger. You'll probably it'll probably come up or Bridger Real Estate. Um, what I really liked about them is you kind of you go into a little bit more detail than the average person, I think, on private equity, real estate, syndications, and the like. And I'm hoping that we can definitely talk talk about all that today. Um, but I guess first, we do this with everybody. Uh, we kind of take a step back and ask our guests, uh, real estate, how did you get into it? Uh, you know, What was that light bulb moment, if there was one, for you to kick off uh, that direction of your career? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. So I, uh,
0: I was like a lot of people and got into college was very ambitious one you know i was looking at all these youtube videos online i started six businesses my first two years of college i did uh i was selling essential oils forex trading i did website building i actually wholesaled two houses so you're asking about my first deal it was i wholesaled two houses made five grand each one i was like this is sweet this is awesome you know and eventually my in my i grew up in a very average kind of household and feel free to cut me off whenever you want but i Uh, My dad was an entrepreneur. We did okay, right? Had an okay life kind of just average. And my dad finally grabs me with Bridger, I want you to go meet with one of my business partners. This guy is very successful. I think he can help you. You're kind of like a chicken with your head cut off. Let's let's have him help you. So okay, set this meeting. And I drive up to this dude's house and I pull up gated community. I pull through these beautiful mansions. I mean, it's incredible. I pull up to the top of this hill, cul-de-sac. He's got this gorgeous home. I park my car. I'm like, dang. I'm like who? Who is this guy? It's my dad's business partner. Like who? Like who the heck? Like wow! Like how was you know? How did I, how did they get in business together? And anyways, I, I knock on the door. We sit down. We start to chat, and we start talking about all sorts of stuff. And he, I finally get to the point. I ask him, "How did you get all of this? Like how did you do this? Right? Like you're I kind of point at the house and the cars and the pool in the backyard. He had a basketball court in his basement, like the whole thing, right? Hmm. And he kind of laughs and he goes, "Well, Bridger, I was a lot like you in my twenties. I had." done a number of businesses, actually made a decent amount of money. But then he goes, then I figured out the secrets of the ultra wealthy. Hmm. I kind of leaned in. I was like, what do you mean the ultra wealthy? And he says, the, the, what I mean is the the Vanderbilt family, the Trump family of the Romney family, the, the Rockefellers, this is what they all do. And they'll have their kids and they get them into the best schools possible. And they hope they can go work in investment banking and, and then eventually get into private equity, hedge funds, real estate funds, or come back home and run the family office. Hmm. He goes, this is the world of investment funds. And I'm I'm sure most of your listeners know what a fund is, but just pooling capital together, hedge funds, private, they're all structured, actually very similar. They're almost all the same structure. They just invest in different things. We'll dive probably into that in a minute.
1: Yeah. But I was very
0: intrigued. And he goes, a number of years ago, I met a guy who ran a private equity fund. He's one of the most wealthy i have ever met. And I set a goal. He said, I set a goal. I didn't care how long it took me. I didn't care if it took me one year, or five years or 20 years, I was going to figure out what a fund was, how to start one and how to go. And I was like, I was really intrigued. He goes, that's what we did. And he goes, me and your dad launched a fund about six, seven years ago. And he goes, currently today, we manage about $8 billion of multifamily real estate. Wow. And I was blown away. I was like, I was just struck like $8 billion to put that into perspective, like Cardone Capital, I believe managed just about $2 billion of multifamily real estate.
1: Yeah. Is that about right? Well, it depends on the lawsuit how that goes, but yeah. I'm <laughs> yeah, joking.
0: yeah, we'll see. That's a great <laughs> point. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see what it all shakes out. But let's say they claim at least that's where they're yeah. at. At the time, they were eight billion dollars, and I believe today they've just topped over twenty-five billion under management. This is properties; they it's a value add investment funds. They're hmm. buying them up, you know, buying B, C class apartment buildings, renovating them and flipping them. Essentially, yeah. I was blown away. And I said, I want to learn this. And I, and I've always heard find mentors, find coaching, right? You hear that forever. So I said, Hey, I wonder if this guy would be my mentor. And so I asked him like, Hey, can you mentor me? I'd love to get into this. Can you kind of coach me through this? He goes, Bridger, he goes, go talk to your dad. Your dad knows about this way more than I do. And I said, I was like, Oh, no way. No, my dad's poor. He drives a crappy car. You're rich. Like, can you mentor me? He goes, Bridger, (laughs) me and your dad make about the same amount of money. Yeah. And my chin about dropped to the floor. And I, uh, I left the guy's house. I drove straight to my dad's house. I was like, dad, what the heck? <laughs> like you're making all this dough and you haven't been sharing it with all, like what's going on? Like, why haven't I been able to order dessert at a, you know, dinner <laughs> for the last 12 years? Cause it's too expensive, on you know? Yeah. What? Well, like what's going on? And anyways, he kind of laughs. He goes, well, Bridger, I like to save and invest my money and mm. my partner likes to spend and kind of show off his money. But yeah, he goes, yeah, we run these investment <laughs> funds. And so I was getting a little long winded here, but I, um, and feel free to cut me off, but this is, that's how I kind of started to learn about funds. And he sat down for the next six months. And every, every time I was around him, we sat on the whiteboard and he taught me about funds, how they worked. We talked about Luxembourg funds, Cayman Island funds, Mm -hmm. blocker entities, uh, parallel funds, how to find capital, all the stuff inside of funds. And I was super intrigued on it. And about eight months, nine months later, I had an opportunity. I was at a, at a company I was actually working at. Mm. And A lot of clients were coming through this, this company and they needed funding for their businesses. And I thought, Hey, this might be a great opportunity for a fund. And so I went and talked to my dad. He loved the idea. I talked to the owners of the business. They loved the idea. And I was like, I'm going to start a fund. We're going to do this. And so I put together the kind of organized the documents, got things together. My dad helped mentor me and look through everything. And I finally got to the point like, okay, I need to raise money. Hmm. And I kind of overlooked how hard that would be and how daunting of a task that would be, right? I'm 22 years old at the time. And I remember thinking, well, aha, like my dad is rich. He doesn't spend his money. He likes to invest. I'm his son. He's told me he loves this idea. He would probably love to invest in this deal. Yeah. And, and so I remember it was a late Sunday night, I went and went into my dad's kind of home office. I sat down with him and I said, dad, in my best pitch voice possible, dad, how would you like to be our first investor to our fund? And I kind of showed him the whole pitch deck and the whole thing. And he uh, he kind of laughs and he goes, Bridger, he goes, I have the money to invest, but if I invest in your fund, I would ruin the experience of you raising money on your own. Hmm. And he goes, this will be a crutch that you'll never be able to recover from. Your first investor is the hardest investor to find. Yeah. And if I'm the first investor, you'll never recover from that. That'll be, that'll be your story the rest of your life. He said, no. Hmm. And it was a big tough love moment between me and my dad. And he kicked me out and he said, go do this on your own. And I took him up on the challenge and I kind of walked out with my you know tail between my legs a little bit and uh, took him up on the challenge though. And after weeks of pitching anybody I could, I, I raised a whopping $49,000 nice. for my first, it wasn't even a fund. It was a syndication. Yeah. And which is, if you guys know anything about funds, that's probably the smallest possible fund you could possibly do on the planet. Yeah. (laughs) uh, But it was enough to get started. The loans we were doing were small. They were two to $10,000 loans each. Mm. Small quick turn. They were four to six weeks long, high interest rate loans. And we did these loans and our first group of investors, they got back a 64% return on their money. Um, they nice. were thrilled, small dollar amounts, but good return good return. And so we said, let's scale this. So we launched a second fund and, and in our second fund, we've raised and deployed millions of dollars. It's gone really well. We've done, we've scaled a lot. And then right now we're launching a third fund actually in real estate. So we're buying up big box stores, um, Kmart shop best buys hmm. doing value add on them. We've raised about, um, soft raised about 18 million so far right now. We're actually just finishing our documents. We're raising 50 million for that fund. Awesome. Um, Awesome. That's the quick story. Sorry, no, 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 not at all. That's kind of the story of how I got into this game and where we're at.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. So first of all, I wanted to ask you and you answered 22 years old. So you're doing that. It's hilarious because it just reminds me a lot of a very similar story for me where when I was on uh, bigger pockets, uh, the first time I was on their podcast was like six years ago and it's the same story, except I was doing student rental properties. I went to my dad first and he was like, "Mm, no, And it was the almost identical to this because we've talked about it on the show. It's the zero to one, right? That's the really hard part. Not that one plus isn't, uh, is just easy. It's just getting that first one and then really kind of getting investors in your case and and building that. So the first one wasn't real estate. So was that, uh, was that, um, were you selling notes on that? Uh, Clarify that for us. Yeah, we were doing, um, and I totally agree with the zero to one thing, by the way. That's so huge. Your
0: first dollar is such a big step to get, to make $1 in revenue is huge. I yeah. think. Raise $1, Any, make $1. Yeah. Whatever it is. That's huge. Right. Yeah. The first dollar. Um, but yeah, our first two, two, I guess, syndication and fund, we were doing notes to, they were, we were doing debt consolidation mm-hmm. inside of there. We did some hard money loans as well on real estate. And then a lot of it was debt consolidation for small businesses. If they had lots of debt on credit cards or other places. We consolidate it down in a short period of time It help their credit scores go up and help them get more access to capital. And then they could pay us back in four to six weeks. And usually they're getting 60 to a hundred thousand dollars in capital that they could pay us back on. That's yeah. kind of what we were
1: doing. Yeah. Very cool. So it, you fast forward today, like you said, you're, you're launching a fund that's uh it seems like good, good anchor tenants in large, uh, large big box stores. I'm curious um, for those that don't know or haven't followed you you know you don't just jump into a fund a lot of times it evolves from a friends and family syndication and then evolves into committed capital that can be used at your discretion talk about that journey from that first one which sounds like uh, an asset specific or investment specific uh, entity syndication and to where you're at today and the structure of that fund for the for the real estate yeah it's a it's a I've, i've seen tons
0: of people do this journey i did the journey as well and probably a lot of people listen to your show and I was the same way. Are stuck in what I call the syndication loop, mm. and it's where you—house flipping is a great example. You find a great house, you love it. Okay, we're gonna flip this house. You go call up your investor pool. Hey, you want to put money in this house? You get hard money loans, however you're gonna finance the property, and then you make an LLC or a special vehicle. You put money into that vehicle. You go flip the house, and then you restart. Mm. And you find another house. You got to find new investors, and you got to send. You know. And then that investor this time, hey, sorry, I don't, you know, my bonds, I've got to do something else. I can't put money. And you're calling around. You're trying to drum up capital. And then you go and you do the next deal. And then eventually, you know, some people get to the point where they just have enough capital themselves. They can just fund deals themselves. But a lot of times they're stuck doing a certain deal size. Yeah. And actually, so I mentioned my dad earlier. Really, this is where they were at. They were doing hard money loans. And they were doing syndications on all of them, but, but these loans were were bigger. They weren't doing households. They were doing two, five, $10 million loans sometimes. And they're syndicating from 10 to you know 50 investors on some of these. And he said, there was one deal they had, it was on a, they were supposed to close on a Friday. They already had some money that was hard. And one investor didn't wire in their money hmm. and they lost the entire deal. Yeah, their reputation was tarnished. They were, they lost the deal, right? And they said, we can't do this anymore. We can't do this syndication loop where we're depending on investors and we're just scrapping for cap every time. And we want to get into bigger deals. And that's why most people that are in that loop event, most people that are good at financial products or things eventually end up in the fund model because it's so scalable and Mm. so lucrative. So for people that don't know a ton about the fund model, just in in a top level sense, what it does is it allows you to go out and you raise capital once. Hmm. You set up your legal entities once, and then you can go do as many deals as possible. Depending on how you set up your fund, it's gonna vary quite a bit. But for example, we have one guy in our group, a good friend of mine, his name's Brent. He last, so two years ago, flipped two houses. He's a house flipper. flipped, you know, two, three houses a year, did okay. He just set up a fund. Hmm. This year is flipping 72 homes. I think he's like halfway through those flips right now and is doing the other, you know, 30 or 40 the second half of the year hmm. because the fund allows him to have the capital there. He can close with cash in hand, proof of funds. He's not trying to scrap it together and, you know, grab hard money. He just, he can close. Yeah, And that's the beauty about funds. And then the final thing that's so just amazing about funds is you have a hundred percent control over what happens. There's a great scene. Have you seen the big short Yeah, that show? Yeah. Great scene in the big short with Michael Burry. So Michael Burry, he's, he's played by Yeah. He's kind of autistic and he's listening to loud music. He's got the glass eye. that guy. Yeah. And so there's a great scene in there. His fund, he like writes on the whiteboard, they're down like 17% or something. His investors come into the room and they're yelling at him, Mm. right? They're screaming, you got to sell your position, get out. And he just says, no, sorry. No. Yep. And that is the most beautiful thing about funds. That's the reason eight guys and gals on wall street can manage billions of dollars. Yep and you have your biggest investor come to you. Mm -hmm. And they, let's say, you know, they've invested a hundred million dollars with you. And they say, hey, you know, Jesse Bridger, I've I've got some taxes I got to pay. Can you guys sell some of the properties early or the positions to get me out? Because I got to pay some taxes. Mm. And can you help me out? And you go, "Um, no, right? The the properties, the assets are not, they're not ready to sell. Our fiduciary responsibilities to the fund as a whole, yeah, And yeah, you can pull out, it's a 50% penalty if you wanna pull out or you leave your money. And that's the most beautiful thing about funds is the control yeah. that you have over what goes on in there.
1: Yeah, and you know what, when uh, we recently had Brian Burke on the show for a second time, and we were talking about the comparisons between entity specific syndications and funds, and obviously pros and cons with with certain things. One of the pros of the actual entity-specific syndication is that the LPs, if they're not as sophisticated, you know, they can technically walk up to a building, hit the brick, and be like, this thing exists. Whereas he said something really interesting about the funds side. It's that it's a trust vehicle. So you don't just start with a fund, right? You have to develop trust with whether you're the connections that you've done in earlier deals or people know that you're a thought leader. So why don't you talk about, you know, Let's talk a little bit about how you get to that point where somebody's trusting you with what seems to be somewhat of a blind, committed capital type of deal rather than entity specific. And then uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about the generic structure or, like, let's call it the vanilla structure of the fund, the GPLP, you know, just kind of the Cole's notes there. But, but yeah, first, it'd be great to, to just hear how you get over that trust curve for investors on the fund side.
0: Yeah, 100%. And what we just mentioned, you know, syndications is a great way to go, hmm. right? That's a, an excellent route to go to build yourself a track record or your team a track record. But another great way to go about it is partnering with someone who already has the track record, right? You can easily, if you're sitting there like, okay, well, I've got to build a track record now. Um, myself, I have, as you can tell, I'm not a seasoned real estate investor. I don't claim to be. Hmm. Yet we're launching a $50 million real estate fund, raised 18 million so far, not because of my track record. I have two incredible partners that have done real estate for 25 years that I partnered with. And they I, they have the great track record. They partnered with me because I understand funds, how to put them together and how to raise capital. Hmm. And so we're a good team together, right? Actually, my my dad, I tease him all the time. My dad actually doesn't know that much about real estate. I really, I really ask him, I'll ask him, hey, what, you, what kind of cap rate would you offer on that? What would you do? And he's like, I don't know. Right. I'm like, you managed $25 billion of act. Like, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, no, he goes, my partners know how to do it, yeah. but I, I don't everyone. So I would say number one, you can do syndication to build a track record, but number two, also partner with people, but I'll give a, even a, I don't know. For me, I, I was, I started out my first one with zero track record and zero partners, right. Yeah. On a first syndication deal. How do you even get money on the first syndication deal? Number one, I believe is finding great properties and great deals. Yeah. And, um, you probably talk about the show a lot, but pitching the deal over yourself or your degree, I think goes a long way. I, and I, I can go into more in depth than that, but it sounds like you, you agree and already on oh, that yeah. show,
1: but, yeah, for sure. but that's
0: how, that's how, um, I we've gone out and raised our capital as well. We mm. say, Hey, we're, we're obviously smart. We think we're smart people, but look, we've already identified three properties. We're going to buy in our fund mm. Go, ch- Here's all the paper on it. You're smart. You've done real estate. Bring on your friend poke holes in the deal yeah. as much as you can. And if you can't poke holes in the deals, hey, can we put you down for a $500,000 commitment to our fund? Yeah, And um, we still use that model. And real estate's really great because we can identify properties. say, these are the ones we're looking at. And we're going to put them under contract right now, or they are under contract. We want to get in quickly. It's mm-hmm. a great way to, uh, and investors, a lot of times they'll look past a, a Harvard degree yeah. If you have a great deal in front of them that they can get into.
1: Yeah. Well, we had, uh, you know, it's, it's all a blur in terms of like the past guests we have on. So I can't, I don't know who to credit with. It wasn't me, but uh, it was somebody talking about the three trust curves when it comes to real estate investing or uh, real estate private equity. And for initial investors, it's that you have to have somebody that believes in the asset class to a certain extent, believes in you or and believes in the deal. So I think you, you touched on it right there with the deal. And like there's a lot of times the deal can speak for itself. Obviously, you know, you have to bring expertise to that in your own capacity. But it sounds like what you're talking about is whether it's raising, funny, uh, raising money for production of a movie, raising money for real estate, the expertise is in that raising capital, which leads me to kind of the next area. So you talked about uh, having an operating partner, having somebody that's an expert in that field. How do, how do you structure the fund model when, for instance, there's already potentially your operator uh, in a GP, LP arrangement? Are you now a fund of funds where you're taking capital and you're coming in as a co-GP or as a outsized LP? Could you talk a little bit about that? And you're saying specifically investing into operators or partnering with operators? Yeah, well, I, it sounds like when you say you're partnering, I'm assuming you're a co-GP on the deals, but maybe that's a bad assumption on my part.
0: Yeah. Well, there's, you can, you can, the great thing about funds is you can structure it however you'd like, whatever makes sense. That's the best thing about funds. The way we're doing it Mm. is one of my partners is actually, he's a property manager, has managed properties for 10 years. His company will be outside of the GP and they are going to give us below, just right below fair market value. And so, and we, and we kind of, they're technically it's not in-house. It's not part of the GP, but it's a part and kind of a sister company with us. Mm. And we say, Hey, we're going to be, Operating, running these companies from a partner entity that's giving us below market value. um, So you're coming in
1: almost like you're coming in at. at, I assume it's a it's a NAV or net asset value where you're coming in with a little bit of a discount, um, and then you're you're securing that position. So you're you're basically profiting on the initially right away, right? By by in virtue of connecting at that at that discounted rate. Is that right? Well, I the way I'm talking about, I'm talking about a property manager. So once we
0: Acquire the property. They're going to help manage the property. But for in our case, we are going to be the ones buying. We're not co investing with anybody else. We are going full in buying the GP or the L, excuse me, the limited partnership is going to go and buy the entire asset. Mm. And then we're going to hire a
1: our you know sister company to come and help lease it up and renovate gotcha. and, you know fix
0: it up that whole thing yeah
1: so you haven't you haven't gotten to and maybe you don't want to you haven't gotten to the point where you're vertically integrating all of that into one business you're going to have third third party property management and then continue do this doing this with different opportunities it sounds like
0: yeah it's it's my business partner's company so it is and we're we're starting to get to that point it's our this is our first fund in this asset class so we're keeping it separated at least currently yeah but yeah well the plan is to integrate all those together in an offering as well. Very cool. Now, what you mentioned earlier, though, having a discounted rate, we're going to do that as well. So, people that come in, you know, investors that come in in your first, you know, close, hmm. they get preference over investors that come in in a second close or a third close. Because they've risked our capital longer, so you can, you're out yeah. And If you're coming in early, you're making money on those second and third closes,
1: though. Nice. So for for uh, listeners, uh, let's talk a little bit downstream. Um, you have somebody that wants to invest. What does it look like for them from a promote standpoint, a you know, preferred return standpoint? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not pitching my yeah. fund at all. This is
0: just examples here. Not legal <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah. Not legal advice, but this is what we're doing. So. Yeah. We, uh, we decided on our first, fund. now we debated this for a while, what to do, how to incentivize investors, especially on a, I've ran two funds in different asset classes, right? This is our first time in this aspect, how can we drum up a lot of money and capital very quickly? Hmm. And an easy way to do that is with your fees. And I'll give you two examples. Number one. Um, so my dad's first funds, they paid out, they did a 0% management fee and they paid a 16% prep. Wow. Which is this is two thousand five, so they would say essentially what that means is we're taking zero management. We don't make any money unless the investor makes sixteen percent first, mm-hmm. and then above sixteen percent, I believe they split 50-50 until twenty percent. So a catch up, and then the the GP would take a hundred percent after that, and they did it on the APY, so annual percentage yield on the yield, and they were doing hard money loans. Hmm. So, but to put this into kind of an example, is uh, they were doing. Loans that were, let's call it, um, you know, a couple points, 10% interest, whatever. Let's just say, uh, just round numbers, one month, and they make back 10% or 10 points on the loan in one month. They were doing very short term hmm. loans. Yeah. Your yield on that, your APY is 120% because it's an annualized number. So investors, they would say, great, yeah, we'll pay you the first 16%, 50 50. And then they were taking the next 100% right? Return on that loan. Um, what's, well you know, and investors were happy as ever. Hey, we're making 16%. This is awesome. And they yeah. didn't know they were leaving this huge chunk out there. Anyways, entry structure. Um, but in, in our fund, what we're doing, we're going to do a 2% management, just as typical, very similar to in 20 model. So 2% management fee, we're going to do an 8% PREF. Mm. So first 8%, so preferential rate of return, eight, first 8% goes to the investors. Yep. We're then going to do a 2% catch up. So the ninth and 10th percentile will come back to the general partner. Mm. And then from there, we'll do 80-20 split, uh, 80% to the limited partners, 20% to the, the general partner. So
1: Yeah. Uh, and for those, for those that don't know, I don't know if it's come up on the show before, but the catch up is, it's a mechanism that is used to make sure that after the pref return is paid to the limited partners that the general partner, depending on how you structure the documents, will get a catch up or they will get a disproportionate share so that they are compensated on the pro rata investment. If that makes sense. Um, in terms of the, I'm always curious about this. For, and and again, we're talking in the abstract, um, when you guys do these type of deals, is your philosophy to have the general partner, uh, be a 5% investor, a 10% investor? And then if so, are they investing arm in arm with the limited partners or separate uh, share classes? So yeah, we are, the general partner is
0: t- 2% into the limited partnership. Mm. So 2% of all funds raised capped at a million dollars. Got it, that's what you be... meant by two
1: and 20, sorry.
0: Yeah, so yeah. we'll put 2% capital in as well. And then the limited partners will put the other 98% into the limited partnership. And the limited partnership or the fund will be the one that goes and either sets up an SPV or just acquires the property, will most likely set up SPVs and then they will go acquire the property out of that SPV all through the fund. So we're not co-investing or anything. It's all dumping into the fund, the limited partnership, that's then going into a holding company and then that they're going and buying those assets.
1: Okay, and that's what I wanted to kind of move to now. So, yeah. talking about the fun structure, first of all, you know, I can't shout out your YouTube channel enough because I'm a visual learner and uh, you see the whiteboard here. I see the whiteboard <laughs> yeah. in your videos. I'm like, perfect. Um, talk a little bit. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about structure and, and without getting too much um, into the weeds. Uh, you know, your typical structure for, for instance, uh, something like the real estate, again, just ge- generically, if you're doing a real estate fund, how are you typically setting that up and what type of time horizon are you discussing with, um, with investors? Because we get a lot of questions about you. They see, you know, at least in my personal experience, you know, they see an eight year horizon, 10 year horizon. And a lot of times is mm-hmm. if we get an amazing offer in year three, we wouldn't be doing our fiduciary duty to you, unless we really considered it. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, there is a, the first thing about funds is there is a lot of options and that's what I actually, our channel, we try to walk through the options, right? And, uh, if you understand the options, it'll save you and your, your, your dollars paid to a lawyer. You'll save a lot of time because lawyers will love to walk you through all these options and bill $500 an hour while they do it. And it's just, they love it, right? It's their favorite thing to do. Um, and so we try to walk people through your options. So a few options, I'll kind of go through the most common. And then I mean, there's, there's a thousand ways to do it, but the most common filing, at least in the United States is under regulation D-506B. Yep. Yeah, okay, that's just a filing number. And a 506B fund, you cannot publicly advertise and you can And I'll actually go through a few exemptions below that um you can raise unlimited capital and you have you can raise from 35 non-accredited investors and unlimited accredited investors okay that's a 506b fund and that's how 99% of all capital on the planet is raised through a 506b fund offering i will um, i will
1: just sorry to interrupt interject on the canadian side that would be if those of you are interested national instrument 45106 that's a that's our exemption similar to your 506b and C to a certain extent, but yeah, yeah. sorry.
0: No, and that's and that's actually great. I probably need your, I need help on can, learning Canadian funds better too. Cause I, I know US funds really well, but not Canadian. So- Well, you guys have uh, a
1: scarier securities and exchange commission to, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know they, uh,
0: yeah, they'll come after you. So you gotta set it up, right? There's a lot of exemption stuff. So um, yeah, to not get too much weeds, you can do a 506B in the United States or a 506C. And then 506C, you can publicly advertise. There's a few other things there. And then underneath there, so once you pick one of those, there's then a number of options as well. So you can do a 3C1, a 3C5, a 3C7 fund. There's a few, and those are the three most common. Um, For real estate funds specifically though, 3C5 is a great exemption for real estate funds. So if if you just remember, it's hard to remember, but 506B or C and then 3C5, you'll get great exemptions for real estate. You have to own, I believe, you might know the number. It's like it's 80 or 85% of your portfolio needs to be real estate mm. inside of a 3C5 fund. And if you do that, you get exempt from a lot of clauses. You don't have, to have certain licenses. It's, it's actually really great and useful. Um, but there's a ton of options that we probably don't wanna get into them, but you can run Regulation A funds, Regulation um, CF funds. You can do crowdfunding. I mean, there's a lot of cool things you can do there, but that would be the most common for real estate funds. But back to the, that's, this is probably confusing there, but to the structure of things, Yeah, we mentioned, you know, general partner, limited partnership structure. A lot of times in the United States, you'll set up a third entity and that third entity will be your investment advisor or registered investment advisor. Hmm. And so, And that usually is owned by the same people in the general partner. So your general partner, your investment advisor, the same, that's just your management team. This is us that are running the fund, your investment advisor or registered investment advisor in the United States. If you're over $150 million, you fall into the sec rules, the the national level. And that's over $150 million. If you're under $150 million, you fall into the state level where your primary office is located. So if you're located in, uh, Spokane, Washington, you will be under Washington securities laws. Hmm. If you're in, U- I'm in Utah, I'm under Utah securities laws in my state for there. So you have to just look out for that. And, and it just depends on the fund type that you're doing um, as yeah. well. And then we can, if you want to go deeper, I mean, we can talk about parallel funds, uh, blocker entities, if you're raising money from international. I, I don't know if you want to get into that. Well, but it's, I think it's well
1: kind of before, uh, before we do it, it's definitely, uh, it's fascinating to see the different structures. Cause as you said, there's many of them. Um, what's, what I think there is uh, parallels, at least for the Canadian and the US, is that there is the GPLP. There is an entity typically that actually has title to the property in the States that usually is an LLC. In Canada, we have no LLCs. Those We don't know what those are. So we have corporations. Yeah. And corporations uh, take title to the properties or you have a nominee corp. Um, so very similar. And even when we invest in the States, oftentimes it's done in a US LP for Canadians it's i think it's a more of a preferential tax entity but without getting too far into the weeds in terms of the exit strategy so when you're talking to investors uh, obviously we're talking funds here so it is committed capital i guess two questions uh, one on exit and you know talk a little bit about how that works and how you talk about that with your investors. And then the first one is on entry. And and what I mean by that is when somebody asks you, hey, Bridger, I'm giving you um, $200,000. Uh, how much runway do you have, you know, if it's a really tight market and you can't find deals until something's gotta happen with my money? how Like how long can it sit in a bank account? Yeah. Um, yeah. Great, yeah, great question. Thanks for getting me back on track here. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: Yeah. And you, you're, you obviously have plenty of experience in funds. So you can add on to this as well, but again, it depends on, you can decide, which is great. We can do, but also typically what funds do you have, what you mentioned a seven to 10 year horizon is a typical horizon for the entire life of the fund. Usually first 12 to 18 months, we're going to be raising capital and starting to deploy that capital into deals if we deem fit. And then hopefully, you know, in the best case scenario, we're deploying capital, by year three, maybe four, we've deployed all of our capital and now we're seasoning the properties and hopefully by year, you know, five, six, seven, we're starting to exit a few properties. They usually will set a longer time frame, just in case we go into a crazy recession yeah. or something. You don't want to be forced to sell because you, if you told an investor seven years and you know, the, you're at, now you're at seven years the bottom of a recession or depression, you're like, hey, can we extend or not? A lot of funds will just give themselves a, a, a you know, 10 years at the max mm-hmm. and they'll time the market, right? But I think most managers that I talk to are, are saying, hey, we're trying to get out of these properties in six to seven years as, as our primary target. Mm. Um, now you mentioned capital committed. So a lot of times an investor, if we're raising uh, $10 million, we'll get commitments for that. We don't actually take the money yet though. It's mm-hmm. literally just pieces of paper that say, we have certain $10 million committed that we can draw down when we want. So we identify a property, we will issue what's called a capital call. And we'll say, Hey, we're going to, we're buying a million dollar property. We're going to draw 10% of the capital down. So if you put, if you committed like your example, $200,000, you would commit 10%. So $20,000 you'd have, you know, 10 days or 14 days to send a wire into my bank account. And then we would go and acquire that property there through a capital call. Hmm. A lot of funds that I see typically will have a time frame of maybe two to three years. And they'll say, after let's call it three years, we cannot call capital anymore. So mm-hmm. on that $10 million fund example, let's say after three years, we only deployed, you know, $6 million. We just couldn't find enough deals yeah. that were good enough. A lot of times you'll send a letter to your investors saying, okay, the, the last 40% Uh, Is you're released from your capital commitments, you actually do not have that liability anymore to fulfill capital calls. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, no, it's a great distinction on on the fact that it's callable capital. Um, I'd love to uh, to do this again. I want to be respectful of your time here. So just coming up to the end here, and we'll talk a little bit about how people can get in contact with you. But we typically ask all our guests four questions. So if you are uh, if you're down and game for that, I can kick kick us off. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. What's something that you know now that you wish you knew at the beginning of your real estate career?
0: Oh man. To have, (laughs) that's a good, good question. Number one, have good attorneys and (laughs) uh, number two, to get into real estate. Like for me forever, I was, I've been in and out and I'm going to time the market. Right. And I'm going to, you know, Oh, I'm going to wait just to the perfect time. And it's like, no, just get in. Like, just stop waiting for things to. it's just life's going to pass. You just get in, you know? And even if, even if it's the worst time ever in the history of the world to get in, get in (laughs) traditionally real estate over time has, you know, you're going to make money over time. So just get in even, you know, that's, that's something I I wish I knew. Awesome.
1: Uh, number two, what's a, a resource that has your attention right now that you'd like to share with listeners that can be a podcast, a book. One of the things I've been
0: loving to to read is Ray Dalio. So Ray Dalio runs Bridgewater Associates, one of the largest private equity funds in the world. Mm. I mean, Ray is a legend in the industry. I look up to him a lot. He posts incredible articles on his LinkedIn. Yeah, And to his, you know, he kind of points everyone there. He's written a few books, but he has been constantly just banging on this long-term debt cycle. He believes he has a lot of theories on what's going on with monetary policy on kind of a macro view. I love macroeconomics. I just finished. I've, I love reading books and they, sometimes they get a little too far. I don't understand everything, but yeah, it's, and he, and he does a great job of making it simple and actionable of what's going on in the world right now. It's actually, man, it's, it's a uh, pretty interesting. So I'll point you guys there. You can't go wrong. listening to Ray Dalio. Yeah.
1: So. That'll have to be the topic of the next, uh, the next podcast. Cause I'm i I'm a huge econ geek and just his idea of the long cycle and what he's doing now on LinkedIn reminds me a lot about what Howard Marks has been doing for uh, the longest time of the, uh, kind of writing, I think it was monthly or weekly now, but anyways, both are, uh, are great resources. Um, mentorship, what does it mean to you? Uh, how important is it to you?
0: Um, I, I am all in on mentorship. I've spent $80,000 in the last 12 months on mastermind groups, coaching and mentors. Yeah. Um, uh, because I know every time I, I give a mentor or a coach a dollar, I get back three, $4, $5 in return. Yeah. And so I remember the first time I joined a program for like a thousand bucks and I just gulped. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't, like. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm freaking out. And like three months later I'd made, I made like 2,500 bucks. I signed a client and I, whatever. I was like, whoa, like that worked, you know? Yeah. And I was like, this is a cool investment. Like you're thinking about return on investment. I have seen it time and time again, every time I pay a coach, a mentor, not all of them are perfect, but a lot of them are actually really good and really quality information my business, it grows our business in a certain way. And and, and I wouldn't have, it's just, it's, you pay for shortcuts. You're buying shortcuts. I'm all in on mentorship and, and I put a lot of, every year I just budget. I like, I budget a certain dollar amount, like, okay, like this month, this amount's going to just
1: masterminds groups and mentors this year. They're like the uh, PS2 uh, cheat codes back in the day where you just buy the, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it harkens back to the zero to one piece, right? It's like, yep. until you do it and see that, oh my God, I should have done this five years earlier. Um, last question, this is my lob, my favorite Bloomberg. Uh, first car, make and model.
0: First car, make and model. It was, uh, I love it. Ford Expedition, 1999, had about 230,000 miles on it. Beautiful, um, that's, a, that's
1: a lot of miles.
0: Oh yeah, it was, and it, <laughs> it did good, man. The old Ernst was his name. Right on. Um, you're, that's what you asked, first car I've ever owned, right? Yeah,
1: first car, make and model. Yep, I, always I, I've always stolen that from Masters of Business, one of my favorite podcasts on Bloomberg. Um, Bridger, where can people, aside from an easy Google search, you're going to pop up everywhere. Is there somewhere that you would point to people or something that you're promoting now that uh, you'd like listeners to know about?
0: Yeah. Um, easy spot. Our, our stuff is called investment fund secrets. So investment fund secrets, we go in and teach people about funds. We try to go through and and map it out. My brother's a security attorney. My dad, obviously he just actually just retired, but co-founder of a $25 billion family of funds and myself we try to just make, make it simple. So it's called Investment Fund Secrets, um, investmentfundsecrets.com, our YouTube channel, Bridger Paynton. I love whiteboards, like you mentioned. So we try to whiteboard stuff out there, but that's what we're trying to do there. And we have, we have coaching and mentorship stuff and all that kind of thing, but just investment fund secrets. We're trying to just give out as much free information as we can on funds, just, just to help people understand this world better and what's going on and just kind of pull back the curtain.
1: My guest today has been Bridger, the investment fund guru, Pennington. Bridger, thanks for being part of Working Capital. Thank you so much. It's been fun. All right. Thanks so much for listening to Working Capital, the real estate podcast. My name is Jessica Galley, and we hope to catch you on the next one. Take care.
0: Hey, what's going on? Wasn't that awesome? So what we've done is made a Facebook group that is free to the public. You've got to opt in and join it, but I go live in there every single Wednesday to walk through your questions, do live Q and A and walk through new topics. So if you want to connect with me, want me to answer your questions directly, join our Facebook group. It's investment fund secrets. If you go online, you'll see it. We have a private group for our mastermind members. It's not that one. It's our free group. You guys can hop in, get questions answered, meet other people starting funds and, and join our investment investment fund secrets family. If you guys are interested, go to Facebook investment fund secrets. I'll see you guys inside.